I'm really excited about this section of scripture. Um, the New American Commentary uh, says that this chapter in the Bible is one of the strangest accounts in all the Bible, okay? <laughs> I, you know, I don't think I would call it strange, but it's certainly intriguing. Um, you know, when you, when you meet Jesus personally and fall in love with him, you all of a sudden realize there is a supernatural realm that I have never seen before or never been in touch with before. And all of a sudden, God becomes real, Jesus becomes real. How many know we serve a living God? We, we serve a living God, so he's active in our life, but we don't see him, but we know he's there. And so this chapter is going to just kind of take back the curtain. It's going to take back the veil and let us look into uh, the, the spiritual realm a little bit. And I'm really excited to do that with you. Now, let, let me do a quick explanation for why we're not going to read uh, chapter 11, which carries the bulk of, of this particular vision that starts actually in, in chapter 10. Okay, there are, there are three visions recorded in the book of Daniel that Daniel has. One in chapter 7, uh, one in chapter 8, and then one that starts here in chapter 10 and goes through the end of the book uh, in, in chapter 12. Each vision covers the same period of time. And so when we looked pretty in-depth at chapter 7, we took two weeks with it, um, we talked about how God is giving Daniel a vision of what's going to happen for the nation of Israel and really for the world uh, for the rest of history from the time of the Babylonian Empire until the time when an Antichrist will be raised up to, to rule the world during a time of tremendous uh, tribulation and persecution against the church and, and, and the people of Israel. So, you know, it starts with uh, the Babylonian Empire, and then the Medo-Persian Empire, and then the Greek Empire, and then, of course, the Roman Empire. Those of you who have done a little study in history know that those were the world empires throughout history, up to the Roman Empire, and then and now, someday in the future, of course, there will be a a one world government, there will be a one world uh, leader, ruler, there will be one world economic system, and it will actually be controlled, and the Bible suggests in the book of Revelation, if you don't have a mark, you won't be able to uh, be involved in the world's economic system. I don't know how that's going to affect your checkbook, but uh, it, it doesn't sound like a lot of fun, okay? Now, to be honest, there are different opinions and views about this period called the tribulation, uh, a seven-year period that I've talked about of tremendous persecution uh, in the world. Uh, a lot of people think we're in the tribulation right now. And if you were watching the news this week, you would have thought we were too. You know what I'm saying? Uh, I, had a, I had a brother who uh, works for the state police. He texted me, I think, on Wednesday, and he said, Pastor, call the church to pray. And I happened to have a you know, prayer meeting planned Thursday morning this last week at 7.30, so we did pray, um, but he said it's like the apocalypse now, and he'd been driving across the state and just all the different fires and all the different places. Uh, incredible what happened last week. You know, the first century church thought they were in the tribulation. I mean, there were so many people who are being martyred for their faith. Hundreds and thousands, literally, of people died as a result of their faith in Jesus Christ. Tell me that's not a, per, a tribulation. 
you know, it would be hard to argue against that. I'll tell you, the, the Jews in the Holocaust thought they were going through a tribulation. That was unbelievably horrid. Uh, by the way, this next year, 100,000 people around the world will die for their faith. They'll be martyred for Jesus Christ. There are more people being martyred today than ever in the history of the world. Tell them, uh, the, the Muslims, uh, the Christians who, uh, the Muslims who have become Christians who are being persecuted in their countries and being killed for their faith. Tell them they're not going through the tribulation. I mean, it's pretty hard to argue that we're not going through a time of tribulation right now. But I believe there's more to come. I believe there is a, a seven-year uh, period yet to come. I believe there will be an Antichrist who embodies the spirit of the Antichrist that's already in the world today. It's everywhere. It's in every aspect of our culture, our government, our education system, the lives of people who you have a hard time sharing with because they are so anti-Christ and you struggle to share your faith with them. It's already in our world, but there will be someone who will embody that completely, who will uh, persecute Christians and Jews. But the good news during that time, if, if you read about it in the book of Revelation, it's going to be a tremendous time of revival tremendous time of revival especially for the Jewish people and that's covered in the book of Daniel as well as a little bit now the reason why I'm saying all of that is because all of these three visions cover those same periods of time a and they all cover similar details but in each vision bring a little bit more to light and so we studied chapter 7 in depth a couple of weeks uh, we skipped over chapter 8 the second vision, which is very similar uh, it, to chapter 7, but brings out more details about the person, the Antichrist, in the end times. And that's all neat, and I just, you know, if you love that kind of stuff, read chapter 8. We skipped over it. Uh, chapter 11, same way. It's another amazing chapter, and if you're really into end times stuff, knock yourself out, but we're going to skip over it. <laughs> And we're simply going to focus on Daniel chapter 10 because trust me, there's plenty in this chapter. We're going we're to focus on the introduction to Daniel chapter 10 and then we're going we're to skip forward next week to Daniel chapter 12 as we finish the book. So uh, with that said, let's dive into this uh, chapter in the Bible that is referred to as one of the strangest accounts uh, in all the Bible. To me, it's fascinating. It unveils a mystery that, uh, that uh, is a part of what's happening all around us in the world today. Beginning in verse 1. It says, In the third year of the reign of King Cyrus of Persia, Daniel, also known as Belteshazzar, uh, had another vision. He understood that the vision concerned events uh, certain to happen in the future, times of war and great hardship. Uh, when this vision came to me, I, Daniel, had been in mourning for three whole weeks. All that time, I had eaten no rich food, no meat, or wine crossed my lips. Uh, I used no fragrant lotions uh, un until those three weeks had passed. So this is a time of prayer and fasting where he's restricting himself uh, for the sake of seeking God with all his heart, all his soul, all his mind and all his strength. Verse 4, on April 23rd, as I was standing on the bank of the great Tigris River, I looked up, saw a man dressed in linen clothing with a belt of pure gold 
around his waist. His body looked like a precious gem. His face flashed like lightning, and his eyes flamed like torches. His arms and his feet shone like polished bronze, and his voice roared like vast, a vast multitude of people. Only I, Daniel, saw this vision. Uh, the men with me saw nothing. Uh, but they were suddenly terrified and ran away to hide. So I was left there all alone to see the amazing vision. Uh, my strength left me. My face grew uh, deathly pale, and I felt very weak. Uh, then I heard the man speak, and when I heard the sound of his voice, remember it roared like a vast multitude, when I heard the sound of his voice, I fainted and lay there with my face to the ground. Uh, just then a hand touched me. This is another man now. Just then uh, a hand touched me and lifted me, trembling, still trembling, uh, to my hands and knees. And the man said to me, uh, Daniel, uh, you are very precious to God. So listen carefully to what I say to you. Stand up, for I have been sent to you. Uh, when he said this to me, I stood up still trembling. Uh, then he said, don't be afraid, Daniel. Uh, since the first day you began to pray for understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your request has been heard in heaven. From the first day, your request was heard in heaven. I have come in answer to your prayer, but the 21 days, uh, but for 21 days, the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia blocked my way. And then Michael, one of the archangels, came to help me, and I left him there with the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia. Now I am here to explain what will happen to your people in the future, the people of Israel, uh, for this vision concerns a time yet to come. Verse 15. While he was still speaking to me, I, I looked down at the ground, uh, unable to say a word. Uh, then the one who looked like a man touched my lips, and I opened my mouth and began to speak. I, I said to the one standing in front of me, I am filled with anguish because of the vision I have seen. My Lord, I, I am very weak. How can someone like me, your servant, talk to you, my Lord? Uh, your strength is, my strength is gone and I can hardly breathe. Uh, verse 18. And then the one who looked like a man touched me again and I felt strength returning. Don't be afraid, he said, uh, for you are very precious to God. Peace. Be encouraged. Be strong. And as he spoke these words to me, I suddenly felt stronger and said to him, please speak to me, my Lord, for, for you have strengthened me. Verse 20, he replied, uh, do you know why I have come? In other words, are you with me now? I mean, he's been on his face. He's, he's been trembling. He's been shaking. He, he, he said, are you with me now here? Do you know why I have come? Uh, soon I must return to fight against the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia. And after that, the spirit prince of the kingdom of Greece will come. Remember, we talked about how, uh, of course, uh, after the Babylonian Empire would be the Medo-Persian Empire and then the Greek Empire. So there's the playing out of that here in the spiritual realm. Uh, verse 21, meanwhile, I will tell you what is written in the book of truth. Uh, no one helps me against these spirit princes except uh, Michael, your spirit prince. I have been standing beside Michael to support and strengthen him since the first year of the reign of Darius the Mede. That's verse 1 of, of uh, Daniel chapter 11. Let's stop there. Okay, there's a lot going on in these verses, obviously. 
Uh, but the most important thing that happens in these verses, and, and trust me, I did a lot of homework. I, I looked at a variety of different um, exposés, I guess you could say, of this section of Scripture. I read a few commentaries, and none of them addressed this. I felt the way it should be addressed. The most important thing that happens in this chapter is Daniel's personal encounter with the person of Jesus Christ. Did you see that? In verse 4 through 6, it says, um, uh, on, on April 23rd, there's a variety of reasons why that's calculated historically. The year's about 536 B.C. On April uh, 23rd, as I was standing on the bank of the great Tigris River, I looked up and saw a man dressed in linen clothing with a belt of pure gold around his waist. His body looked like a precious gem. His face flashed like lightning. His eyes flamed like torches. His arms and his feet shone like polished bronze. And his voice roared like a vast multitude of people. Who do you think that is? That's Jesus Christ. In fact, if you look in the Revelation, in chapter 1, verse 12 through 15, John, the disciple on the Isle of Patmos had a very similar vision. There, there's a clear reference that it was the person of Jesus Christ, and it's exactly almost, I mean, in so many ways. There are a few differences here, but it is so much like this. This is obviously Daniel's Old Testament encounter with the person of Jesus Christ, his eyes of fire, full of passion, his feet of bronze with, with, with authority, his... his, his uh, his voice, a picture of power and authority, uh, like a vast multitude of people. Or I think John says it roared like, you know, the waves in the ocean or uh, just powerful picture of, of who Jesus is. Now, what's interesting to me in verse 7, uh, Daniel says, Only I, Daniel, saw this vision. The men with me saw nothing, but they were suddenly terrified and ran away to hide. Could I say this? This is worth writing down, and, or certainly for you thinking about it. There is no such thing as a second-hand revelation of Jesus Christ. Okay? Jesus reveals himself to us personally. And it's interesting to me. How many know Jesus is real? Have you ever tried to explain that to someone else? Have, have you ever tried to explain it to someone in the world that just doesn't get it? They don't understand why we would be willing to die for our faith. Are you kidding to me? What is wrong with you? You've gone to too much church. You've been brainwashed. I mean, they, they don't understand at all. And, of course, John talks about that in 1 John chapter 4. He, he talks about how, how we are children of God. And, and the world doesn't even know us, doesn't even understand why we have this faith. You can't explain Jesus completely to anyone else. And I can say here this morning, your revelation of Jesus is different than mine. He's the same person, but your testimony, the way he called you to himself. How many of you, you weren't looking for Jesus, but he was looking for you? And, and when you had that revelation, it's just, it blows your mind. I love more than anything hearing the testimonies. Wouldn't it be great if we just all turn and share our testimony in the room here this morning? Because our testimony is personal and it's powerful. It's interesting to me here that the men who were with him saw nothing. 
okay? There was something happening, but they didn't know what it was, and they just turned and ran away. And by the way, if you read in Acts chapter 9, same thing happened with the apostle Paul. Remember when Saul was on the road to Damascus to arrest Christians and throw them in jail? All of a sudden, a light shone down while he was riding. I don't know if it was a donkey or a horse, but a light shone down, knocked him off his horse. I'll use horse. Uh, knocked him down off of his horse. And he cried out, Lord, who are you? He knew it was holy. See, one of the things about Jesus and his revelation, if you've met him, he's holy and you're not. And you know the difference. You know, the word holy means other. God is holy. He is pure. As much as we'd love to try to be, how many know? We never can be, not in this body. I mean, I love 1 John 3. He says, when, when he appears, we will see him and we will be like him, for we will see him as he is. Hallelujah. But we're not that pure yet, nor will we ever be in this life. He is holy. And when you meet him, you know. When you meet him, you know. You're aware of your sin. Daniel fell on his face to the ground, trembling, because he was aware of his sin. Read the book of Isaiah, when he saw the Lord high and lifted up. He said, woe unto me, I'm a man of unclean lips. You can't meet Jesus and not understand there's a holiness in God that's not a part of human nature. It's not a part of human beings. And that's the one we all recognize. It's one of the things we recognize immediately when we meet Jesus. You see, the Apostle Paul had that revelation. Light shone around him. He says, Lord, who are you? And Jesus said, I am Jesus who you're persecuting. Can you imagine what that felt like to Paul? I'm the one that you've been persecuting. You've been throwing people in jail. You've been having them killed for their faith. I'm the one that you've been persecuting. Of course, he ended up going to uh, a town close by there where he was headed to Damascus, and a man named Ananias came and prayed for him. And if you read that story, something like scales fell off of his eyes because the Bible says the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers. And, and it's so true. They just, they just can't see. So, so the reason why I say there's no such thing as a second-hand revelation of Jesus Christ is because if you're here today and you're with a friend, that's awesome. But you need your own revelation of Jesus Christ. And some people are part of church culture for a number of years. Some of you grow up in church culture and you assume a knowledge of faith. You have a head knowledge. You have an understanding. You can even understand the sermon sometimes. Depending on who's preaching. But anyway. But you can't receive an, a, a revelation of Jesus Christ from me. You've got to receive it from him. You have to have your own experience, your own revelation of Jesus Christ. I've said this many times, but for some of you who are watching online or some of you who are new here this morning... Christianity is not about education. It's about revelation. We have to know him. We have to have a relationship with him. Everyone in the Old Testament that God used, Moses, Gideon, Abraham, they all had a revelation. Moses at the burning bush, Gideon down on the wine press, uh, Abraham numerous times. Peter, remember his revelation of Jesus? Been out fishing all night, didn't catch a thing. I love that. 
that morning, Jesus said, let's go fishing. We're going out into the deep. And he's thinking the whole time, this guy is an idiot. I mean, he might be a good preacher. He doesn't know anything about fishing. So they go out into the deep water, and Jesus says, cast your nets. Throws his net out there. All of a sudden, they have the most amazing, miraculous catch of fish. And Peter realizes, this guy's more than a man. He's more than a preacher, and he's more than a prophet. He falls on his knees and says, depart from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. And in that moment, he, the revelation in his spirit, it wasn't the fish in the net, it was the revelation in his spirit, this man is holy. He is God. And then Jesus called him and said, come follow me and I'll make you a fisher of men. It's a powerful story. And when you read through the Bible, one of the things you see is there's no such thing as a second-hand revelation. You've got to have your own revelation of Jesus Christ. And I want to encourage you, I can't make it happen for you. I, I don't know how to make it happen. There's no formula. But one of the things we see in this book or this chapter, this letter, is that Daniel humbled himself before God and he sought the Lord. And the Bible says, seek the Lord while he may be found. He says, you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. I don't know if you've ever sought the Lord for 21 days or three days of prayer and fasting. But when we seek the Lord with all of our heart, I'm not encouraging you to fast, but I encourage you to make seeking the Lord a pursuit in your life so that you can know he's real, so that you can know he's there, and you can experience the power of his life, uh, of, of his love. Second thing I see in this chapter, not just the encounter with Jesus, but an encounter with another angel, the man who reached out and touched him and strengthened him, course several times Daniel in his book refers to angels as a man because angels have the ability uh, with the help of God to put on the form of men though they're spiritual beings and uh, so uh, here in verse 20 uh, in his encounter with the angel after the angel has strengthened him and helped him to rise and helped him to speak and helped him to listen in verse 20 he says do you know why I've come Soon I must return to fight against the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia. And after that spirit prince, uh, the spirit prince of the kingdom of Greece, he will come. Uh, meanwhile, I will tell you what is written in the book of truth. No one helps me against these spirit princes except Michael, your spirit prince. I have been standing uh, beside Michael to support and strengthen him since the first year of the reign of Darius the Mede. Who is the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia? Who is the spirit prince of the kingdom of Greece? And by the way, who is Michael? Your spirit prince. Okay. These spirit princes, of course, are angels. They have been signed authority. Now, you're, you're having a glimpse now of the heavenly realm. And so often, you know, we get caught up in the news and what's happening on earth. And our focus is totally on what's happening on earth. But there's a battle in the heavenly realms. These angels, spirit prince of Persia, spirit prince who would come of Greece, and your spirit prince, Michael, these who are angels who have been signed authority over countries, over governments, 
over regions of the world. I think sometimes over political parties. I think sometimes over school systems. Uh, sometimes there are workplaces where there's, it just, there's a spirit. There's something there that affects the culture uh, in, in that place. Now, angels, let's just define what an angel is here so that we understand. Angels are created spiritual beings. Now, that's really important. Angels are not eternal. They will not always be. They haven't always been. Now, they were created by God at a time, a time. So they're created beings. They're not eternal. And by the way, they're not persons. This is really important. Occasionally, I'll, I'll do a memorial service, and I'll be out in the foyer, and, I'll, and a young mom will be talking to her three- or four-year-old, and the little three- or four-year-old is saying, where's Grandma? You know, she just passed away. We just did her service. Where's, where's, where's Grandma? Oh, she's an angel in heaven now. Now the preacher in me wants to go, no, she's not! She's a person. Just like you're a person. Now think about this. You are going to be the person you are for eternity. I don't know if that's good or bad. Now, aren't you thankful for Jesus? And forgiveness for sins? But do you want to grow at all? Do you want to change at all? In terms of courage and character? See, you are a person. And you're going to be that person. Now, thankfully, when he returns, we will be like him, for we'll see him as he is. But nevertheless, in this life, we are becoming the person in Christ. By the way, you're a new creation in Christ Jesus. Old things are passed away. You're not defined by your past. You're being defined by your faith in Jesus Christ and your growth as you move forward. But nevertheless, you are a person. Now, these beings, angels, it refers to spirit prince. They are a created spiritual being. And they have a noble task. They're a prince. They have a noble task. But you're a son. You're a daughter. Because you've been born again by the power of Jesus Christ. Do you understand the significance? Your role is so much richer. The Apostle Paul said, you're going to judge angels. There are always going to be angels created by God to minister according to his plan and his purpose. But you've been invited to be a friend of God. And you've been born again by the power of the Holy Spirit to be a daughter of God or to be a son of God. That is unique and totally different. <laughs> hallelujah. Someone should say hallelujah there. That is so important. So important. Now, angels, they have high intelligence. They have moral judgment because a third of them followed Satan. And it says in Revelations 12, the tail of the serpent, you know, <laughs> literally... Uh, dragged him out of heaven with him. So uh, they, they, they have moral judgment. They have no physical body until God gives them one for the sake of whatever it is he's asked them to do. But the spirit prince of Persia is a demonic being. In other words, he's an evil angel. Same angel, but now he's serving Satan, not God. And what his assignment is, because he fought against the angel from God, didn't he? 
So his assignment is to fight against the purpose of God reflected in the nation of Persia. And, and of course, there have been a variety of kings throughout the history of Persia. But if you read in the Old Testament, the promise that God gave Israel is always under attack. The people of Israel are always under attack. And the, the kings of Persia were often deceived by other leaders to try to put an end to the Jewish people. Why? To put an end to the promise that God would send a Savior, His Son, Jesus Christ. And so you read about uh, Esther during the time of Xerxes, and you read about Naaman who tried to put to death all the Jews in the kingdom at that time. That's what's going on in the heavenly realm. There's a fight from the demonic side to put an end to the purpose of God and the promise of God for the nation of Israel. And, and by the way, the purpose of God and promise of God for his church, we who have been grafted in by faith in Jesus Christ, and anything that honors God, any level of society that would honor God or worship Jesus Christ, there are evil angels, demonic influences, to put an end to that. And, and there's so many ways to see that in the scripture. One of them I could explain to you is in the book of Jude, verse 9, where it says that Michael, the archangel, has an argument with Satan about the body of Moses. Have you ever read that? And you go, what's that all about? I don't know if you're familiar with Deuteronomy 34, verse 6, but basically, at the end of Moses' life, the Bible says his eyes were as clear as they'd ever been. He was as strong as he'd ever been. But the Lord said, you're not going into the promised land. And so he told him to leave the camp, and the Lord was going to, he was going to die. The Lord was going to take him. Now, how many think that Satan would have loved to get his hands on Moses' body? See, God didn't want anyone to know where he died. They didn't want him, anyone to know where he was buried. Because, you know, human beings, they would go out and they would have made a shrine about Moses. And they would have put his body in a box. And they probably would have overlaid it with gold because he was such a famous leader in Israel's history. And can I say, worshiping a godly man is not the same as worshiping God. But Satan would love it. He'd love for you to worship anyone but Jesus. Mary. St. Christopher. He, he would love to lift up anybody to the same level so that our focus is off the person of Jesus Christ. Why? Because there's power in the name of Jesus. There's salvation in Jesus alone. So in the spiritual realm, of course, these spirit princes, these demonic beings are aimed at leading people away from faith in God, glorifying God, trying to stop the promises of God and the purposes of God from happening. What about Michael? He's referred to as your spirit prince here. He's the spirit prince or the angel over Israel. Okay, in fact, in De uh, Daniel 12, verse 1, he stands guard over the nation. It says, at that time, Michael, the archangel, who stands guard over your nation, will arise. So Michael is 
an archangel, by the way, the, the prefix arch or arch means chief. So Michael is the chief angel over Israel. This is one big dude, okay? He has a, a, a powerful responsibility. One of the things you see in the Bible is there are levels of authority for angels in the invisible realm. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians 6, he talks about principalities and powers and authorities in the heavenly realm, describing different levels of authority. Now, out at the base here in Klamath Falls, there's a commander, isn't there? And then aren't there sergeants or privates or, sorry, I don't work out at the base. I don't know all the nomenclature of the different levels, but just like there are levels of authority in the natural realm, there are levels of authority of angels in the spiritual realm. Here's what the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 6, verse uh, 10 through 12. He says, finally, brothers, <laughs> be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you able to stand firm against the strategies of the devil. What's he talking about? He's talking about mindsets. He's talking about strategies of the enemy within our culture, within communities, even at your workplace, to lead people away from faith in Jesus Christ. Put on the, God's full armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. We're in a battle. Could you say it with me? We're in a battle. I think many of us know that is, is true, but the sad part is we get our focus completely on what's happening on earth rather than understanding that it's happening in heaven first. And we see the evidence of it here on earth. Now, one of my big questions, I'm sorry, I'm inquisitive. One of my big questions is what was happening during the 21 days? when this evil angel was blocking the angel of God from coming to Daniel. What was happening? C could I read it to you? Verse 12 through 14, it says, uh, he said, don't be afraid, Daniel, since the first day you began to pray uh, for understanding to humble yourself before God, your request has been heard in heaven. I have come in answer to your prayer. But for 21 days, the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia blocked my way. Then Michael, one of the archangels, came to help me. And I left him there with the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia. In other words, I got an errand to do. I got to go talk to, I got to go talk to Daniel. And so, will you take care of this for me? Okay, I'm out of here. Verse 14, now I'm here to explain uh, what will happen to your people in the future for this vision concerning the time yet to come. What was happening? I don't know about you, but if I was God and a spirit prince that I created was blocking an angel that I sent on assignment, if I was God, aren't you thankful I'm not? Okay, if I was God, out of here, you idiot. I'm sorry, but I mean, there, it'd be over, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it be over? So what was God doing? Allowing Satan to block his purpose on earth. What was God doing allowing this angel to learn to fight? What was God doing 
allowing this angel to use his wisdom to execute his plan to defeat this spiritual being. What was God doing in Daniel's life as he persevered in prayer for 21 days? Isn't it interesting? How many of you, how many of you love the Lord of the Rings? Or, or, or maybe, you know, Gladiator, you know, or Braveheart, or, you know, Star Wars, okay? You can always include everyone in Star Wars. Ladies, sorry, those are probably not your faves. Maybe Mama Mia is, I don't know. Don't, don't we love adventure? Don't we? We love adventure. We love mystery. We love a story. We love drama. H have any of you ever been called the drama queen? Okay, I think God is the drama king because his story, can you imagine his story? How many know he knows the end? He knows the end, but it's going to be a nail biter. Okay, here's what God does. He loves drama. Okay, this big nine and a half foot giant is literally putting a stop to the nation of Israel. I mean, literally, they're cowering in fear. What does God do? Raise up a little 16-year-old boy, red hair and freckled face, slingshot, and takes him out with one stone. Who by God? Who by God? Who loves drama more than God? Who loves a battle more than God? God loves to defeat the enemy with his own strategy and his own plans. When you read the Bible, it's an amazing story. And God has invited us to have a role in it. He really has. He's invited us to pray. He's invited us to love. He's invited us to walk by faith, not by sight. He's invited us to serve him, be empowered by him, be used by him to accomplish his purpose on earth as it is in heaven. I love Psalms 144 verse 1. It says, praise the Lord who is my rock. He trains my hands for war, my fingers for battle. Now, David was one of the most amazing warriors in history, a man with the sword who was unbelievable, and yet he knew it was God who was training him. And can I suggest, it's the Holy Spirit who's training us in our life. He's teaching us how to pray. He's teaching us how to love when something unloving happens to us and we respond with mega kindness to overcome evil with good. There are a lot of ways that we battle. I love the battle when, you know, when the Lord says, be, in, be still and know that I am God. You, know? you don't have to do this battle, for the battle belongs to the Lord. I love those. Anyone else? But sometimes that's not what God does. Sometimes there's perseverance. Sometimes there's prayer for extended periods of time. Sometimes there's long suffering. Different ways that God works. God knows the end. But he's invited us to be part of the journey. How many parents here, if you knew your children were in a situation and in the end it was going to turn out great and they were going to win, how many of you would love to set back and watch courage and character and wisdom and understanding form in the life of your child. You'd like to see them grow up. Some of us have some growing to do in the things of God. And I just want to encourage you here this morning. We're in a battle. 
God knows the end. He's invited us to participate as we go forward. I'm going to invite the worship team to come on up and I'm going to read one last section of scripture as they come. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 10 through 18. I'd love to read the whole section where the Apostle Paul talks about the battle we're in. He talks about armor that we wear. So as we prepare to go here this morning, beginning in verse 10. Finally, he says, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against people. It's not political platforms. It's not the news media. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. You don't, you don't know how much I have wrestled with and prayed with, Lord, how much of what we're going through right now is designed as an attack to keep the church away from praying and worshiping and contending for the things of God. How many think it's important when the church worships? Across our nation. And yet it's kind of like we can't now. I don't think that's an accident. I don't think the, the government is not smart enough to design that. I've watched. Okay. I'm sorry, they're not that smart. Don't give them that much credit. Give the credit to who credit is due. It's Satan's strategy. Okay, don't get mad at any political party here. This is Satan's strategy. He wants to keep the church from being the church. And this is really, really important. Okay, human beings aren't that smart. Satan is. And so there's a strategy. And you know, for you who are watching at home or you who have come out today. I feel like we need an intentionality right now about our faith. I, I, I feel like we need to understand our gathering is important, however we work out doing that. And I appreciate you being patient, you know, putting up with the mass thing, uh, limited numbers, things like that. We're trying to work this out. I'm trying to figure out how could we have more services in the same amount of time? I mean, I'll, I'll preach upstairs and run and preach down here, and I'll run back upstairs and preach and run down here if we have to have five. I don't care how we do it. But I'm committed to being the church during this hour because I believe this is an hour where darkness is trying to advance at a level it hasn't had the opportunity to advance before because the church has been gathering and worshiping and praying. So this is... This is important. This is important. Therefore, Paul says, verse 13, therefore put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you will be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand, then stand firm with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. Don't listen to lies. Make sure you know the truth. Stand firm with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. Compare everything you hear to God's word. Stand firm with the belt 
of truth buckled around your waist, with a breastplate of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. Allow the righteousness of Jesus to guard your heart from condemnation or guilt or shame with a breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted, ready, readiness that comes with the gospel of peace. Learn how to preach the gospel in a way that makes people feel valued and loved, not put off, in a way that makes people feel valued and loved. Invite them into peace. So, so, so important. Verse 16. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. All those things that fly through your mind, the shield of faith helps guard us. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Verse 18, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. And we can all say amen together. Can we say that? Why don't you stand with me? Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. So let's declare the name of Jesus again before we go. And then uh, I lost my mask. I think I kicked it somewhere. I don't know where it was. I'll have to ask you to put on your mask as you leave. Uh, maybe even as we declare this song, I hope you'll shout out the name of Jesus into your mask really, really loud here as we sing it. Jesus, 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 you make the darkness tremble, Jesus, Jesus, you silence fear, Jesus, Jesus, you make the darkness tremble, Jesus,